Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee that the Lord Jesus Christ makes intercession for those who are His. And we claim that today in our behalf, that we might know His power and presence in interceding for us. We admit that we are sinners, and we admit that our only hope is by His shed blood and through His faithfulness and His accomplished work. We thank You now, Father, for Your Word and for the privilege of having it opened We ask your blessing upon Brother Jim as he is the spokesman for thee to us today. We pray that the Lord Jesus is glorified, that your truth is set forth clearly, and we ask again that you might give us not only hearing ears, but believing hearts, and those who are willing to make any adjustment, any confession, any admission, and any change that your word requires for your glory. We want to be so led of Thee that we glorify Thee as an individual and as a church together. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Amen. I don't know how much you keep up with the news, but I wonder if you're aware of what happened this past week with the Supreme Court. The highest judges in our land, if that doesn't convince you that God's judgments on our land, I don't know what, but how they rule now that it's wrong for... A high school teenager, in the time of we're living in with teenagers being disrespectful to parents and have no respect for any authority and killing one another and all the problems that they have, and there's some teenager who wants to lead a high school football game in prayer, and they say, no, it's wrong. And yet, in that same building where they declared it was wrong, the Ten Commandments are on the wall. And the same money they had in their pockets says, in God we trust. Right. But guess what, brother? We're going to consider something this morning. We're going to consider the parable of the unjust judge. Turn, if you will, to Luke. Yes, it's true. I can't get out of Luke. <laughs> Luke chapter 18. The parable of the unjust judge. Now, I'll be honest with you. You know, I went through Luke for so long a time, I didn't get to finish it. When I got to go to... How the preach that last time, I just went ahead and preached the next chapter. And the Lord led me of this. I, it was hard for me. I kept thinking, Lord, what do you want me to preach on? And I thought, Brother Jonathan, since he's come back to be our pastor, he's taken off and he's picked on all these subjects I love so much and things that we need to be living holy lives. And he's covered so much and he's just bam, 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 bam. What am I going to preach on? What can I say? And I thought, well, I don't want to go against him. And I thought what I could do is to help you because I was concerned for you. I want to glorify the Lord, but I want to help you, my brothers and sisters, to be more holy, to be more joyful, to be more obedient. And I thought, well, I'll just back him up in one thing that he did preach on about a month ago. It just come at it from another angle because I know from experience and from God's word, this will help. And I know how sly the devil is. He tries to make this thing not to seem like to be anything, hardly at all imported at all and if we don't watch out we'll give place to the devil and we'll make this thing that we're going to look at today like it's nothing and not give its proper place you know there's a lot of people that talk about the means of grace and by that they mean if you partake of the lord's supper that you get some grace from just partaking of it or like baptism but the lord doesn't give grace like that brother right and thank god we know that but he does give grace a certain way. You know what that is? It's called prayer. It's prayer. And I don't know about you, but if you're like me, I need grace every day. I need grace to love my wife. I need grace to love my children. I need grace to love you. I'll be honest. I need grace to put to death my sins. I need grace just to study the word of God. I need grace to pray. Well, thanks be to God that Jesus Christ has opened up the new and living way that we can have free access. And this is how great prayer is, because I'll tell you something about it. When the devil sees you going to pray, he gets scared. He gets scared, real scared. And you want to see his wiles, this is when he's really going to come to work after you, because it's the last thing in the world he wants you to do. You start getting bold and all, when he goes, well, you know, maybe they're trusting the flesh and getting puffed up. But when he sees you down on your knees praying, there's only one thing you're doing. You're going to God for help. And he doesn't want that at all. He doesn't want that at all. Let me read this. 
and then we'll consider it more. Luke chapter 18. And this is Jesus speaking. And he spake a parable unto them, that's his disciples, to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterwards he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continuing coming she weary me. And the Lord said, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, Shall we find faith on the earth? <clears throat> Shall we find faith? My purpose this morning is I want to convince you as true saints, as disciples of Jesus Christ, of the importance and the necessity of praying always and persevering prayer without fainting. If you don't get nothing else, I hope that you get what Jesus says here, and this is what he gives the whole parable for the end for. All men ought to always to pray and not to faint. Right. Remember that. But by way of introduction, let me give you two reasons maybe it'll stick with you, hopefully, why it's important for us to pray. One is, from according to the word of God, guess what? Prayer is a sign that you have been born again and you're truly a disciple of Jesus Christ. You have doubts? Well, do you pray? I'll put it this way, and I've heard this from there. I didn't originate it. Praying is to a Christian like breathing is to the natural man. Right. You go, well, Jim, it doesn't say that in the Bible. Let me prove it then. That's why it's so important. Turn over to Acts chapter 10. you remember the story about Cornelius? A real man. When I say a story, this is a real historical thing that happened. Acts chapter 10. Start verse 1. It says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. He's a Roman, a centurion. But look what it says about him. He is a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people. And what's the next little phrase? And pray to God always. The man's not even converted yet. He has not heard the gospel. But you know what one of the fruits of him being born again is? He knew enough to pray to God always. Right. Where did that come from? It came from God. In the same book, turn over to Acts chapter 9. Look at verses 10 and 11. This is right after Saul of Tarsus has met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And I love it. You want to know about the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul says that the glory of it shining so was brighter than the sun. I'll work in the sun every day, brethren, and it is bright. But Paul says the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ was brighter than the sun. Well, the Lord starts speaking to this to certain disciple. Verse 10, it says, And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord wants him to go to the Saul of Tarsus. But I want you to notice what the Lord, Jesus Christ, describes about Saul. Because he knows Ananias is not going to go to this man that he's here that's been persecuting the church. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. And listen, for behold, he wants you to behold this, he prayeth. Amen. He prayeth. The man that was persecuting the church, he meets the Lord on the road to Damascus, and here he is in this house. He's blind, but you know what he's doing? He's praying. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. These people are born again and converted. And I love how the Spirit describes it here. He's describing these people that heard Peter's words... And they received them. And he's going to describe them. 
Here we can examine stuff by the word of God. Verse 41, he says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. So those that received his word, the first thing they did, they got baptized. And the same day they were added to them about 3,000 souls. So the next thing they did, it wasn't by the baptism, let me make that clear, but that same day they joined the church. They got baptized and they joined the church. But the Spirit doesn't stop there. And they continued steadfastly. You hear that? They continued steadfastly. It wasn't a passing thing. And the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking in bread. And what's the last phrase? And in prayers. In prayers. Steadfastly. Well, what's another reason why it's so important to pray? Because as disciples of Jesus Christ, the Lord has commanded us to pray. You say, why do you bring that up? Well, there's this temptation for people that believe in the sovereignty of God to say, well, you know, why should I even pray at all? I mean, I'll pray sometimes, but, you know, God's will is always going to be done. Nobody can stop it. He works all things after accounts of his will, and who can throw off his will? What difference does it make if I pray or not? What difference does it make if my prayer is fervent or urgent? Or for I pray a lot. God's will is going to be done, right? I can't stop it. Foolish thinking. Foolish thinking. God has not only ordained the end, he's also ordained the means to the end. Let me give you an example. God has ordained to supply our needs, like especially food and drink, right? Food and water. Well, does God tell you to go out in the wilderness like he did Elijah? And he sends crows out there or ravens to bring you food to you? Does anybody get fed like that in here? No. God has promised to meet your needs, but what do you have to do? You have to go work. I don't know why people get caught up in this. I'll tell you what it is. It's sin, not wanting to pray. Trying to hide behind the sovereignty of God and and blame it on God. Just like in the garden, the woman thou gavest me. See, blame it on God and blame it on the woman. We've been commanded to pray. Just right here in Luke chapter 18, Jesus starts it off. He says, all men ought to always to pray and not to faint. Right. Turn over to Romans chapter 12, though. Here's that apostle Paul. Moved by God, the Holy Ghost. Verse 12. He says, rejoicing in hope, in patient tribulation. And these are commandments. Continuing instant in prayer. Now, I know that instant in prayer means pressing, but look at the word that's before the pressing. Continuing pressing in prayer. When we go to God, we need to be pressing about something till we get the answer. Paul says, continue to do that all the time. You don't just do it one time and say, wow, I prayed, and then that's it. You continue in it all the time. Every time something comes up you need to pray about, be instant in it. And continue it till you get an answer. I read about David and others in Psalms. They go, Lord, how long? I pray this prayer to you day and night. How long? How long, Lord? And they keep pressing. Turn over to Colossians chapter 4. And don't worry, we're not going to turn to every single verse because, brethren, we'd be here all day long. But I want you to see how important prayer is because I've been in a lot of different churches, brethren. And the one thing that always amazed me about it was how prayer was just this little thing. It's like when you get stronger and more spiritual, you don't need to pray no more. It's not biblical. I'll tell you where it came from. It came from the devil or somebody's flesh. It didn't come from God. Remember about Luke? When we was going through Luke, remember there was this recurring thing that just kept coming up all the time that Luke wanted us to keep noticing. You remember what it was? That Jesus was a man of prayer. Always. And let me tell you something. If the perfect man, the perfect son of God needed to pray, how much more me and you? How much more me and you? I can't imagine. Why did Jesus think he needed to pray? He was the Holy One. No sin. But here in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul just puts it this way. Continue in prayer and watching the same with thanksgiving. Continue in prayer. He doesn't say wait to Sunday to pray. Wait till before you fix and eat a meal to pray. 
or wait till you're hanging off the edge of a cliff and you're hanging on by one hand to pray. You should pray then. Don't get me wrong. But continue in prayer and watch there in the same there with thanksgiving. I mean, haven't you ever been thankful for something? The Lord has given you something to enjoy. Just raise your hands up and say, thank you, Lord. Amen. What's so hard about that? If you love him, it's not hard at all. Right. You want to do it. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians. I like this one. I like the book of Thessalonians because when Paul comes to the end of this book and he starts giving out commands, it's just like boom, 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 boom. Easy to remember, and it's to the point. And look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Is this hard to remember? Pray without ceasing. You say, well, I can't pray every second. That's right. But you can be in the spirit of prayer. You can be in such a spirit that you're ready to pray all the time. Aren't you glad that you don't have to go bow down before some statue of a woman to pray? Aren't you glad that you don't have to get down and kneel toward a certain direction at a certain time every day to pray? Aren't you glad that any time, any place, you can pray? Amen. We're priests and kings. The Lord Jesus Christ has opened up the way for us. Anytime we want to, we can come boldly into his presence. It's amazing to me. It's humbling. <clears throat> the true and living God, we're less than nothing, but we can just come boldly anytime. Anywhere into his presence, and he hears us, he regards us. We should be doing it all the time, brother. And I'll tell you something, it should be a delight, Amen. not just a duty. Turn over to First Timothy. I was amazed about this. You know, the Lord built the foundation, the chief cornerstone is the Lord Jesus Christ, and then the foundation is the apostles and the prophets. And so the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy, and he's teaching him what he should be doing in these different churches. And he's moved by God the Holy Ghost when he says this. And I like this. You know, the Apostle Paul didn't have to sit before some tribunal, some deacon board, some whatever group of men to see if he's been called by God or not. He'd been called by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And even though he hadn't been on earth with the other disciples, the Lord took him to the desert. And I noticed it's real curious. He was down there for three years, just like the disciples. And then you see how great he worked. Well, here he is writing to Timothy, and I'll let you see how important he thinks prayer is. And I love it. He says in verse 7, Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity, He's throwing a weight on, brethren. And what does he say? I will therefore. This is not Paul's idea. He's been moved by God the Holy Ghost. That men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and, doubt, wrath and doubting. I will therefore that men pray everywhere. Right. I love it when I read the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah's bringing the cup before the king. He's praying right then. People think you have this idea that if you're not bowing the head and closing your eyes, and I have nothing against that, except you don't have to pray that way, that right. you're not praying. I get up in the morning, brethren, and I pray. I get in my car, and I have, I guess, about 17 minutes to get to work, and I'm praying about everything I could think of at that time. I get to work. I thank God I'm there at work. I start praying. I start praying about my trailer, my books being there. I start praying not let me hit anyone or hit anything this day. I start praying to help me be a good testimony in my job. I start going walking to places. Help me not to lust after women. Help me not to have evil thoughts. Help me to be cheerful. Help me to be obedient. And just pray all day long. When a sin comes up, confess it right then. Forgive me, Lord. You know what it does? It keeps you alive spiritually. Amen. It keeps you in communion with the Lord. Right. And you know what else is good about it? When sin comes up, you deal with it right then. It's not going on later on with this evil conscience. And the devil come along trying to make it even worse. You know why? Just praying everywhere. Right. You think I'm a nut? I don't care. I love it. Amen. I can pray anywhere. Anytime. It's a privilege, brother. It's a delight. And it doesn't matter if you know words and stuff and all. I've had times, listen to me. I've had times when I didn't know what to say. And I just say, Lord. 
and just groan and say, have mercy on me. And I knew he understood. Right. I've had times where it don't have to be so spiritual. I've had times where I just felt like physically I couldn't go on. And I said, Lord, give me the strength to finish this job. And he's done it somehow or another. I don't know how. Amen. But he's done it. I finished the job. He can do it. I've had at times I've gone out and didn't think I could ever finish. How was I ever going to do this? Well, the Lord knows how. Help me, Lord. And I finish. Do you believe that? Well, turn back to Luke chapter 18. Because I want to center on what he uses here to give us encouragement. And of all things, what does the Lord Jesus Christ use? The parable of an unjust judge. Not a just judge, but an unjust judge. Because there's a point he wants you to get. <coughs> Look what he says again. Here in this city is a judge. He doesn't fear God and he doesn't regard man. And here's this poor widow. Think, a woman without a husband. And she comes and she wants this judge to avenge her. She's not trying to take it on her own. She's trying to do the lawful means. And here's this judge of the city, but he won't do it. He doesn't care one way or the other about it. He doesn't care what people say. He doesn't care what God thinks. But you know what? That woman wanted to be avenged of her enemy. And you know what? She was about to let him get off. Right. So every time he got up in the morning, I'll just modernize it a little bit. He went out to get his paper that morning. There she was out there. You going to avenge me and my enemies this day? I'll think about it. He goes inside, and the phone rings. He answers the phone. You going to avenge me and my enemies today? I told you, I'll think about it. He goes to his computer and the email zone. He gets a message, and he opens it up. You going to avenge me and my enemy today? And just constantly, she just kept coming every day, every day. And you know what he said? I don't regard God. I don't care what people think, but this woman is going to wear me out. I'm going to avenge her. And you know what the Lord Jesus Christ says? Hear what the unjust judge saith. Right. What does he mean? What does he mean? Of all things, why is he picking an unjust judge? But the Lord says, the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 6 says, hear what the unjust judge saith. And, brother, I bring this up because we need to have biblical views of prayer, whatever we're doing. What I fear is too many times, and Roman Catholicism has influenced us more than what we thought. Think about how shocked you would feel, and I still have to work on this some, at certain places. I don't know why, because at other places it don't bother me a bit. But if people don't bow their head and close their eyes, it's like there's something wrong. Well, no, there's not. No, there's not. I like to close my eyes so I don't have no distractions. But I don't never read in the Word of God that says I have to close my eyes. Right. And that's why it's so important. The Lord says he's going to teach us about prayer. He says that me, this parable is not one of these dark parables. This is a parable to illustrate something. He said, And he tells you at the beginning, to this end, that man ought to always to pray and not to faint. Right. And what is the example he gives us? A woman who will not take no for an answer. Even though it's an unjust judge, she gets her answer. You know why? Because she continually keeps coming till she got her answer. And we're supposed to learn something from that about prayer. And what is that? That we ought to always to pray and not to faint. Right. Is that hard to understand? No. Then why don't we believe it? I hope that we do. Jesus is using here the arguments of reasoning from the lesser to the greater and the contrast of the unjust judge with the righteous judge. But the main point I want you to get is to persevere in prayer. Because guess what? You'll get an answer. You'll get an answer. Right. This is where faith comes in. You know what happens? A voice comes from somewhere and says, you might as well give up. He's not listening. He's not listening. Who are you? Look how you live. You really think he's going to listen to you? You might as well give up. And he the sovereign of the universe. You done prayed about it once. Why do you need to pray again? Didn't he hear you the first time? Who do you think those things come from? From the devil. Because I'm telling you, he doesn't want you praying. Right. He saw in times past what happened when Moses went up on the mount for 40 days and 40 nights. 
He saw how strong the Lord Jesus Christ was when he went out in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He saw about Elijah and these other people when they were fervent in their prayers. And that's why he wants to make it so nothing keep you away from it. Don't listen. Look at this. If this unjust judge in a city, he's just a judge of a city, and unjust, if he avenged this widow because of her continuing coming, the Lord Jesus Christ uses the thing down here in verse 7. How much more the righteous and holy and just judge avenge his own elect? How much more will he do it that cry unto him day and night? Consider this. This widow was a stranger and not even related to this judge, right? As far as we know. Yet God's praying people are his own elect whom he loves and delights in. And you know what I love too? Here's the Lord Jesus Christ referring to his loved ones and his sheep. And what does he call them? And I'm not going to get off on the subject, but what does he call them? He calls them his elect. Odd, isn't it? Not really, because the Bible teaches election. His own elect. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 15. I want to show you something about your prayers. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 8, listen to this. The sacrifice of the wicked is abomination to the Lord, but the verse doesn't end there. Look at the second part. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. Amen. Praise God. God delights in our prayers. Amen. He delights in the prayers of the upright. He delights in it. It's not that he's just satisfied with it. He delights in it. So if he delights in it, the more you pray, the more he delights, right? Amen. It's that simple. In the same chapter, look over at verse 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. Right. You get it? <laughs> He's far from the ungodly, from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Every prayer, he hears it. He hears it. Isn't that encouragement? Amen. <laughs> this widow came to an unjust judge. I like to put it this way. We come to a righteous father. Amen. He's not just a righteous judge. He's our heavenly father. Amen. This widow had no friend to speak for her. Can you guess where I'm going now? We have an advocate with the father, even Jesus Christ, the righteous. The father doesn't just delight in our prayers, but right there at his right hand is the Lord Jesus Christ. With those prints in his hands and his feet and that hole in his side and that blood spread, sprinkled on the true mercy seat in heaven, interceding for us. Why don't we pray more? Think about it. You know what the attitude is? Well, there ain't no need to pray no more. Or I prayed about it. What I need to pray again. This widow had no promise from this judge that he would do anything, did she? She just knew he was the judge of the city, but she had no promise. Turn over to 1 John chapter 5. I've heard a lot of people preach and speak on prayer. And they always hit on these other verses, but I've noticed they never like to get to this verse at all. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. These are precious verses, brethren. This is just right after John has said, These things have I written to you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. Look what he says. And this is the confidence that we have in him. The confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, anything according to his will, doesn't limit it anywhere except that it's got to be according to his will. He heareth us. Right. He heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know. We don't guess. We don't hope. 
We don't wonder about it. We know that we have the petitions that we have desired of him. But you know what the trouble is? We don't know when and how. But we have the confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, I know he hears me, and I know I have that petition. And yes, you can go ahead and thank God for it before you even get it, if it's according to his will. Right. And guess what, brethren? I'm thankful for this. It's his will for me to live a holy life. It's his will for me to love my wife and to love my children. It's his will for me to love you, my brothers and sisters. It's his will for me to understand his word and apply it to my life. Right. So I can pray about those things and guess what? I know he'll answer them. Amen. But the trouble is, he doesn't answer it the way we think he should. He answers it the right way, the wise way, and the way that gives him the glory. Right. And that's what we've got to learn to deal with, to submit to his will. Back here in Luke chapter 18, it says, though he bear long with them. God may bear along with his saints, but do you agree with me in this? He's always right in doing so. Amen. Right? Do you believe this? I know a man that claimed to be a follower of Jesus Christ, prayed for his father, prayed for his grandmother. They both died. He just gave up. He went to a Bible college, was planning on being a missionary, just gave up on Christianity. You know why? He told me because God didn't answer his prayers. Can you believe that? We don't know God's time schedule, and it's not our time schedule. We live in a day and time. I know what it's like. I go to my computer. My computer's pretty fast, but it's still not fast enough for me. I want it right now. I'm like anybody else. Go down the road and just have to hold that truck at the speed limit. I want something. I want it now. And the whole generation's got that way. But guess what? God goes according to his timetable and the way he knows what's best to do. And we've got to learn to submit to that. And like he says here, will you remember this fact when the Son of Man returns? Now let me explain this because so many people have perverted this, and I'm not going to go into it long, but I'll just say it shortly. Here in the context, from back from Luke 17, verse 22, to these verses here, Jesus is just preparing his disciples and warning them about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. You go, oh, what? That's right. And he, the reason why he's preparing like this, because he knew that they would face great tribulation. This is when the great tribulation would take place right. and persecution from those unbelieving Jews. But he knew how it would get because it was 40 years' time. The temptation would be, to quit praying and to faint and to faint. And that's why he's preparing them. But brethren, the principle is still the same for me and you. I agree with Brother Jonathan. You know, there's only really one thing left, and that's for Jesus to come back. Amen. And the way things are going, like how the Supreme Court ruled this past week, doesn't it seem like to you that the devil's been let loose again? Amen. There at the end? Amen. It seems that way. Well, me and you have the faith to keep persevering in faith through our tribulations, right. through our troubles, even if it's not the end. Well, we keep praying for that loved one. You know, I've told people, I don't care if it sounds Armenian or not, as long as someone is alive, you can keep praying for the Lord to save them because you don't know if it's his will or not. But I say, Lord, if it's your will, as long as they're still breathing, I have hope. The Lord can save them. Right. He saved that thief on the cross. I have a God of hope. But if he doesn't save him, he's just in that. Amen. You know what happens if you don't keep your faith up and keep on praying all the time? You'll start getting faint in praying and your spiritual life will go. The faint means to lose courage or spirit to become weak. Turn over to Galatians chapter 6. I looked that up in the dictionary, then I was amazed because when I turned over here to Galatians chapter 6, I could have found the definition just right there right. in the verse. Verse 9, Paul says, Let us be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. We're just sticking with that verse. What does it mean if we faint not? It means to get weary. To get weary. And what did the definition say? To lose courage or spirit or to become weak. And let me warn you about something. 
Do you want to know what kind of spiritual state you're in? Did you know that one of the first things to go when you start backsliding is prayer, especially the spirit of prayer? And you won't even see it. What happens, and this is why I've been saying these words on purpose, all of a sudden prayer is not a delight, but now it's just a duty. You're just making yourself go to pray. There's no delight. There's no fellowship with the Lord. You're going to pray because you know you need to pray, and that's good that you're doing that, but it never dawns on you. How come there's no delight there? How come there's no delight? How come you don't walk away confident that you know the Lord's going to take care of what you took to him? Because you're already backsliding and you don't even know it. That's how subtle it is. Right. And that's why the devil's going to come after you about prayer. And that's why so many people act like prayer is nothing. Act like it's nothing. Let me remind you of something. <clears throat> we prayed for almost seven years to get a pastor, and then we finally got one, right? And praise God, thank the Lord we got one. But why did it take seven years? It's the way God decided to do it. Why, I don't know. I believe he was able to give us a pastor the next day. But he didn't. Because God knows best. That's all I can say. And whatever he does is right. And he hadn't called me up and told me what it was. And I let me ask you something, brother. I begged and I asked day and night. Because the position me and Newell is, Lord, what are you doing? We need a pastor. Let me be a little more honest with you. I knew what problems that some of you had. I knew what you was going through. And I would pray for you, but what else could I do? And I knew we needed a pastor. And I thought, Lord, what other problems are there I don't even know about? We need a pastor. This is your order of doing things. Why don't you give us a pastor? Hopes would get up and somebody come in, but it'd be this and it'd be that. Some people wondering about Jonathan, but like he testified himself, he was even ready at the time. Why did the Lord wait for so long a time to restore his soul? Because that's what was best. Amen. That was what's best. The reason why I bring this up is because we have this temptation always. If the Lord doesn't answer our prayer, well, it's just not his will. It's just not his will. And we just give up so easy. You know why? Because you're letting your faith get so weak. And then what happens is you start getting faith in your prayer. Let me give you an example of God delaying an answer to prayer. And what it, it's just, let me turn you to it. Turn to John chapter 11. What I want you to keep in mind is how the Lord delayed this answer to this prayer. And we're going to look at this. And these are some people. And what a family that the Lord Jesus Christ truly loved. And I would love to have been this family. How would you like to be this family? That when the Bible was getting written, the New Testament, you open it up and you read about yourself. And you could read right here that the Lord loved you in writing. But thank God for the Spirit. That lets us know that he loves us. Amen. But even more that you could read in writing. I won't read every single thing, but let's follow with me. John chapter 11. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus, of Bethany. But watch what the Spirit does here. He tells us some more stuff about this family. The town of Mary and her sister Martha. Do you remember Mary and Martha? They were the two that Jesus came to their house. Martha is the one all cumbered all up about getting everything ready and just going to get all over the Lord because her sister won't help her get everything ready. And he tells her that Mary picked the better part, that she sat down at his feet and she just wanted to hear what he had to say. Right. And look what the Spirit tells us in verse 2. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Not only this Mary and Martha is the brother of Lazarus, the sisters of Lazarus, but she's that woman that remember she came in and Jesus was sitting with a Pharisee and he says, there's that woman, that sinner. She came and opened up that alabaster, that ointment and poured it on him and she with her tears washed the Lord Jesus Christ's feet with her hair and her tears. Right. That was this Mary. What a family! What a family! Mary and Lazarus and Martha. 
They knew what to do. Lazarus is sick. It says, therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, and look how they put it. Talk about boldness and confidence. Lord, they don't say, behold, Lazarus is sick. They said, Lord, behold, he, he whom thou lovest is sick. They had that much confidence. What are they doing wrong? They go to the Lord, their brother's sick, and they remind him, the one whom you love if is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And that's what we forget so easy. Because look, it tells you in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That's what I said. What a family. We need to have families like that. What a family. When he heard, therefore, that he was sick, said, get me a chariot, let's get over as fast as I can get there. Run the heavens and fly on the wings of an angel. No. He says, when he heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. On purpose, deliberately, he stays two more days. And we're going to see here in a time where I figure it takes two days just to get there. He says, then after that he saith to disciples, let us go unto Judea again. Let's come on over to verse 11. He says, and these things said he, and after that he saith unto them, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. And look at the disciples. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. In other words, what... You know, if he's sleeping, what do we need to go there for? Howbeit Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he had spoken of taking rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. But don't you love the way the Lord describes death for a believer? It's like sleeping. It's like sleeping. But look what he says, And I am glad for your sake that I was not there to the intent you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Now come to verse 21. He's there. And remember old Martha that gets all fussed up and all worried about, you know, making sure the plates are right and getting the food and getting the drinks and putting the knives and forks all there? Don't judge her too quickly. Look at this. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Her faith is not perfect, but listen to her. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. Right. Now, how about that for faith, brethren? Lord, if you'd been here, it sounds like she's getting weak. He would not have died. But I know that even now that whatsoever thou will ask of God, God will give it to thee. Let me guess. What do you think she's hinting at that he should do? She knows her brother's dead. Jesus saying to her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, and remember how the Pharisees were, you know, these people, they don't know nothing. Look what Mary knows, this woman. I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. It seems like to me she knows more than the Pharisees. <coughs> and Jesus saith to her, can you imagine this? I am the resurrection and the life. Yeah. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Yeah. And listen to her answer. She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which shall come into the world. Now, how about that, brethren? You read it about Peter, but here it is about Martha. Even though she's the one that got all fussed up about everything there was the house, she had faith, brethren. She had faith that came into the world. Well, come on down, because she goes and gets her sister, Come on up to verse 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, remember this is the Mary who washed his feet with her tears, the one who sat at his feet when he came to the house. She wanted to hear what he had to say. But when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, and listened to her, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weep, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And I love this next verse. I think it's the shortest verse in the Bible, isn't it? It says, Jesus wept. You know what's so precious about that? He's a man. He wept. Real tears. 
he wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, and this would make me groan, Cannot this man which opened the eyes of blind have caused that even this man should not have died? All this doubt. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning himself, cometh to the grave, and it was a grave and a stone laid upon it. And Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. And here's Martha with her statement she just made a minute ago. The sister of him that was dead saving him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he'd been dead four days. Even though she makes this bold claim over here, now she's saying, you know, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The body rots. Even though we put all this ointment on it, it rots, it stinks. Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? And they took away the stone from that place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And you know the rest of the story. Lazarus came forth. Amen. You know what I love about it? The Lord delayed this even though he loved this family greatly. Right, man. And it was for them to see the glory of God. And boy, let me tell you something. They saw it. What do you think Lazarus thought? Anybody come to him and want to talk to him about Jesus from then on? If he heard anybody talking about Jesus or Mary or Martha. And what about the other people that was there and saw it? It was for the glory of God. Even though it was a loved one who the Lord himself loved dearly. But you know what happened with us? We would have got faint. We wasn't careful. We would have got discouraged. But you know what I love about it? Even death is not a problem for the Lord Jesus Christ. Even death is not a problem. How many times have testimonies in here people have given about the Lord delivering them? Don't know how or what happened, but they was just delivered. Do you see my point now, brethren? And it's not really my point. It's the Lord Jesus Christ's point. Why we should always pray right. and not faint. And I'll tell you something I've learned from experience. And you'll never see it yourself. The Lord had mercy on me. You start backsliding, the very first sign will always be the spirit of prayer. It won't be a privilege no more. It won't be a joyful time no more. It'll get to be such a heavy burden, just a duty. Gets to be just empty words. But brethren... What does it say in Hebrews 11? You believe that God is, and he's rewarded of those who diligently seek him. Amen. Without faith, it's impossible to believe him. And you notice that's what the Lord brings in there at the end there about faith. Because he knows. Why do we give up? Because faith. Because of faith. We don't believe. We don't believe. Do you have the faith today to pray for 20 years if we needed to? For something? Do you? I knew. Brother Newell had been with me the first five years praying for a pastor. At least the Lord had given us some experience. But we didn't know how long it was going to be. We had went five years the first time. Now the second time was going on seven years. But you know what? The Lord answered our prayer, didn't he? All of one mind and one heart about it. Praise be to God. Isn't he good? Amen. Why should we hold back anything? You remember, I didn't even go and look at the verse, but you remember a verse in Philippians? You want to live a carefree life? You want a secret to a successful life? To be joyful and happy? What's it say in Philippians? Be careful for nothing. That sounds pretty good for me. Mm-hmm. Don't be careful for anything. What do you mean, Paul? He says, let all your requests be known unto God. Amen. And then what does he say there? In the peace of God, I'll keep your heart and your mind. Because you're putting it all on the Lord. And I'm not saying get away from no duty, but you pray about it. You know what the trouble is with people? A lot of times they don't have no success and efforts they do, and they say, I know it's God's will because they didn't pray about it at first. You know what the Lord's doing? You think you're so strong and so wise you can do it on your own? Go ahead and try. He won't let it work. In prayer, we acknowledge we need God's help. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. We need to pray about everything. I remember I was look, reading someplace in the Bible. Paul was talking about checking out food. 
He says, and it's sanctified by the word of God in what? Prayer. Prayer. You do it for everything. It's important. The Lord has promised to be here, but we still pray and ask him to come and be here. We can read his word. He's given us understanding. But every time we come to it, we still ask for his assistance to understanding. Because you know what? We can start leaning to our own understanding. Next thing you know, we'll be in there. You have problems with your marriage? You having problems with putting the death sin in your life? Whatever the problem, take it to the Lord in prayer. Amen. And believe that he can do it. Is it God's will? You can know that he'll answer it. We just don't know when and how. When and how. It's just like when we prayed here. We knew it was God's will for us to have a pastor, right? Amen. We read God's word. It's the regular order of things. And we kept praying and praying. And I mean, it's an experience. But brethren, I learned something from it. I hope that you did. Not to give up in praying. If you don't remember anything I've said today, just remember this. You are always to pray and not to faint. Don't give up. Don't take no for an answer. And I challenge you to do this. Whatever your problem or whatever your need is, try to worry God to death for an answer. Right. You cannot do it, but try it. Yeah. Remind him. Remind him. Keep a record. Lord, I've been praying for this day and night. Not just three times a day, but every time I thought of it. Why won't you answer me? And see what he does. I guarantee you will because he's our loving father and he's righteous and just in all that he does. What we just need to learn to do is not only keep praying for the answer, but be willing to submit to his timetable right. in the way he wants the answer. Because like he says, his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. Right. And praise be to God, he's the wise one. He's right. the strong one. He knows what's going on. Yes. <laughs> and I'm thankful for it. I hope that you are. May God bless us as we put this into practice. Let's stand and sing one of my favorite songs. You want to know what one of my favorite songs is? It's the last two verses of, book, of the book of Jude. If someone will help me to start it off, let's sing these last two verses. Verses 24 and 25. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. With exceeding joy, with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. You're dismissed.